0: Hi folks, this is Voss here from dot com. .com. Welcome to the big show, family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys being here, and thank you once again for tuning in. We've got some of the most amazing guests that we've had on lately and done some uh, really interesting things. Uh, This morning we just had the uh, author of the uh, series uh, of... books that uh, he's written on like 150 books that are pretty crazy he's, he's done a lot of different movies we had him on and uh some other stuff that we've had going on this week it's been a crazy week so far and uh today we've got an amazing artist to talk to us about her work and her journey that she's taken and done elizabeth mccodowicz is on the show with us today and uh, she's gonna be talking to us about uh, what she does she's an artist she's a fashion designer a writer and an activist as well. And she's had an interesting journey through life, and she's making the best of it, as it were. Uh, Five years ago, she was painting murals as a federal inmate, and now she has her own environmentally friendly clothing company based upon art being sold in stores. Uh, She also works with the state representatives to get better laws on the table to protect people in vulnerable positions. Some of them have been passed, which is pretty awesome. I've never passed any laws myself. I need to get to work, I guess. Uh, She's trying to expose the corruption and cruelty within a system that is hidden from the public eye and rebranded as rehabilitation. And the suffering of American people is a trillion-dollar industry. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for
0: coming. We really appreciate it. And uh, give us your dot .coms, where we want people to find you on the interwebs to get to know you better.
1: Um, it's http uh, colon slash slash wwwlegaleriescom slash en slash elizabeth.mikadowitz.
0: There you go. Oh,
1: that's a lot, but... <laughs>
0: There you go. Anything, any other place you want to plug on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera?
1: Yep. Um, I have a TikTok, Instagram, and I never go on Twitter, but all of my handles are the same. It's EPM underscore art underscore 1111.
0: There you go. And so uh, on the website, the link on the Chris Voss show. um, You've got uh, a lot of your amazing clothing and artistry, and, and this is all your works. Is that correct?
1: Yep, I painted all of the designs. Um, actually, I have, I have some here for you. Uh, oh, yeah. This is one of my bags. Mm-hmm. And they also come in plus sizes too. And mm-hmm. I was so happy about this brand because, you know, as women, we have skinniness shoved down our throats. And some brands size their clothes really, really small. That aren't the real size and I was just so happy that this brand doesn't do that because I don't want to contribute to body dysmorphia or mental health issues um, like this is one of my placemats okay. lucky koi fish yeah. um, I've got pillowcases Um, I've got shawls, I've got dresses, I've got pants, I've got shirts, there's something for everybody here. Mm -hmm. And I painted all these on my healing journey. And, you know, it's been a long road, but you know, here I am. Mm -hmm. And if you had told me five years ago that I would have my own brand being sold in stores, I probably would not have believed you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like you have... And on all the tags, you the there's a picture of the painting, and on the website you can look at all the original paintings as well. Wow! So,
0: and what do you normally paint? Uh, what version do you paint in? Uh, um, like
1: acrylic. There you go. Canvas. Yeah, this is one of my paint the actual paintings wow. um, that I just got done. I don't have that one on clothes yet,
0: but mm-hmm. yeah. And where do you find the inspiration for uh, your ideas and what you paint? Well.
1: Um, this this was my first painting of a series of women because it it was Women's History Month, so mm-hmm. um, I'm doing women of all races, ethnicities, and you know, just women. And you know, I've been inspired by trauma. I've been inspired by you know the dystopian nightmare we're living in. I mean, I I've, I I've, I've, I love painting flowers too. Like there's just so mm-hmm. much beauty in the world, um, but it kind of depends which mood I'm in. Like some days I can paint something super Gothic and then the next day it'll be like flowers and butterflies and, you know,
0: there you go. What's a beautiful expression of, of, of work. Uh, did you always have this sort of talent, uh, in and, uh, even from a young
2: age?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I did. I always was into art and music and, you know, dance and, you know, when I kind of lost my way, I kind of lost it, but, in prison, I painted murals at some of the facilities and I would paint portraits and people's coffee cups. And, you know, I'd have somebody steal some uh, floor wax to seal the paint on the coffee cup so wow. it wouldn't wash off.
0: Well, that's interesting. So let, let's talk about your origin story because you have a journey that starts, uh, you started as an orphan, you're adopted at a very young age. Take yeah. us uh, through some of that.
1: Well, I had a great, family growing up. And, you know, there's always trauma with adoption, whether you had a good family or an abusive family. And I was really blessed because these people really loved me and supported me. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I, you know, got out on my own, I got into some really violent relationships. Um, My son's father, uh, the first beating put me in the hospital. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, a month later, he hit me with a wooden dowel because he didn't have a cigarette and I said, "Well, get a job then. Wow. And that was all it took. And my skull was showing it was right above my eye. They had to sew the muscle back, then the skin back. I couldn't lift this eyebrow for a month. And then I started getting seizures from it and wow. the doctors gave me opioids. And at first I took it, but then when they're like, all right, you have to go to the pain clinic now. And I'm like, but that, I found out I was pregnant when I was in the hospital for that.
2: Wow.
1: So, that was like a horrible dose of reality. And when I tried to refuse, because I'm like, I'm pregnant, I don't want my baby to have, you know, opioids and I don't want to get, I don't want to become addicted myself. They said I was on too small of a dose to get addicted. And I think this is because I was on state insurance, you know, because I had never been treated like this before. I was on my parents' private insurance. So, middle class, you know, I was treated, you know, differently. And now that I was on state insurance, they threatened me with child protective services if I wow. didn't take the opioids they, because they said my blood pressure was going up. So, you know, it was putting the baby in, you know, harm's way. But it doesn't make sense because when, op- o- when you take opioids, it makes the pain receptors in your brain more sensitive. So when it mm-hmm. wears off, you're in twice the amount of pain. And you know, I also was getting sears and so my daughter had to start staying with my father because I would I had a toddler running around and I would be incapacitated, you know, for however long. Mm-hmm. And I was so scared I was gonna wake up to, you know, something happened to her. And that was that was really awful because there was nothing I could do about it. There was you no know, no medication I could take. There was no, you know, therapy. They're just like it's brain damage. Like wow. you're gonna yeah. have to ride it out. And so, you know, the beatings got worse. I mean, he would trap me in the bathroom and torture me for hours. I mean, there was sexual assault. There, You know, it was really bad. And when I finally gave birth to my son, like I had postpartum depression really bad, like mm-hmm. to the point where I was like, I don't want to call it psychosis because it wasn't psychosis. I wasn't hearing or hallucinating or anything, but I would have these like final destination scenarios go through my head. Mm -hmm. Like, and then he thought it was funny, so, like, I'd have panic attacks to the point where I couldn't pick my son up because, like, I was scared I was going to drop him or some freak accident was going to happen. And he'd start messing with me and be like, well, imagine if this happened and then the chain reaction to this and then, you know, it, it came through the window. Like, he'd he would feed into, you know, my mental health issues, which made it ten times worse. Mm-hmm. And. You know by the end he strangled me to the point where my windpipe collapsed in on itself and for up to a year after he was gone it would close because of the damage like the doctor described it as like you know if you bend a plastic tube you can you know put it back to its original shape but it's still got that crease so Mm -hmm. it can easily fold in on itself that's what my windpipe is doing and i would have to Mm -hmm. chug water just to be able to breathe and Yeah, it was terrifying. And then I eventually went to Spruce Run, the battered women's shelter in Bangor, and they turned me away with two beds open. They're now called Partners for Peace. Mm. Um, But they turned me away with two beds open. At first, they called me a liar because I had no tears. They said, well, most women come in here and they're crying and upset. I wasn't, I didn't cry on cue, basically. And so I went and I got my hospital records, the scar on my face wasn't enough for them. So I went, and I got the hospital records and the police reports. And then they did a complete one eighty and they said, after talking with police, your injuries are so extensive and your situation is so dangerous that it puts the other women in the shelter in danger. Wow. The girl that got the bed, the guy didn't even hit her. He kicked her car. And hmm. yes, that's, that's domestic violence destroying property. Absolutely. But in compared to my situation where I would have died if I hadn't gone to the hospital, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I had made a deal with my father that, um, if I couldn't get in there to get help because I lost my apartment because of him, because the cops Mm -hmm. showed up, I was in public housing and they were like, yeah, you gotta go. And nothing I could do. And they would, they wouldn't help me, so I, my dad's like, if they can't help you and you can't get into housing, like, you need to sign these kids over to me, because if he shows up with the cops, I have to hand your children over to him. Yeah. So, well, child, it was my son, but, you know, regardless, you know, that was, like, rock bottom for me, because once wow. I signed my kids over, I lost my state insurance, you know, we had Paula Page as the governor then, and when I went to DHS, like, why did I lose my main care? And they're like, "Well, you either have to be pregnant or have children in your care to get metal, me- medical, you know, insurance." Wow. So I couldn't get go to the doctor anymore. I couldn't get therapy. I couldn't go to rehab. I couldn't do anything. And you know, they they had turned me away. So you know, I was just desperate, scared, terrified. And drug dealers ended up protecting me. They gave me places to stay, places to hide, you know, work, well, work, you know, drugs to sell. And undoubtedly enough, I was tough. I was tough as hell from the trauma. Like I didn't back down. I wasn't scared to die at this point. And, you know, I could handle myself in the street. Like nothing scared me after this man. So. You know, I got deeper and deeper into the streets. You know, it was like I always had one foot in and one foot out because I was always like, I just got to get a place and then I can get my kids back and and then I can just get my life back on track. And it was always just one more flip, one more flip. And every time I went to go look at an apartment, my trauma was so bad. I would just picture a million different ways of getting killed in, yeah. in that And I would always like back out and I'm like, no, this is too close to this street or, you know, someone can see me over here. And it was just so bad. And I just fell further and further. And eventually I caught charges in 2011 with the state. And then in 2013, when I thought it was all done and over with, I was done selling drugs. The feds picked it up. And then there I go off, off to prison. Um, and, but you know, it really opened my eyes to this. I thought racism was over in this country, like growing up in Maine, it's 94% white people. You don't see it. And you didn't really hear about it. Mm -hmm. And once I went to prison, I mean, I couldn't believe, you know, this, I mean, for instance, I met a handful of women that were sterilized against their will in prison. And this this was before Trump filled up the ice camps with refugee women. And, you know, you heard about these refugee women getting sterilized against their will. They've been doing this to American women. And the one thing I noticed that correlated them, that they all had in common, is none of them were white. And now all of a sudden, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, it's a great day for white lives. Hmm. And so, I mean, it's not only systemic racism. It's straight up genocide. Like you are trying to take these people out and, you know, just this tone of voice that they would use with me compared to how they would talk to black inmates. I mean, it was just, it was crazy to me and it wasn't so much in the north, but they sent me to Alderson and, you know, the abuse on everybody in prison is terrible. I mean, my first week at Somerset County in Maine, I witnessed an entire pod of women get stripped because they signed up for a razor and a male sergeant wanted a list of who shaved their vaginas and who didn't. Those that did were punished. Like in the words of Britney Spears, that's what sex traffickers do. Hmm. Like you're, you're controlling someone's personal grooming habits. Like you people are sick. I mean, I've watched women, you know, die in there from no medical treatment, very treatable things. I mean, and the other thing at Somerset County, they have cameras that are illegally placed in cells. And this is a problem all across the country too. They will have cameras, you know, on areas where there's a toilet, where you can't get away from the camera and it's on your living quarters. This Mm -hmm. is a problem. And most of these, a lot of these cops are predators. You're six times more likely to get sexually assaulted by a cop than you are a civilian. And and I'm not here to say all cops are bad because that doesn't help anything. And Mm. to be honest, you know, for every cop that hurt me or tried to oppress me or, you know, cause harm to me in some way, there was another officer who was sticking up for me and risking their jobs doing so trying to get it to stop. And Mm. that's the problem too. You know, the good cops, you know, never get anywhere. And it's like the ones who are corrupt and vicious and cruel, you know, they're the ones who, who, who get promoted. I had a sergeant telling me to kill myself while yeah. I was in solitary on the wrong medication that was putting me in psychosis. Yeah. And then when I got out, it was in the paper that she told another inmate to do that. And mm-hmm. they had to cut him down from a suicide attempt. And that woman still works there. She is still getting, you know, a pension from the taxpayer's money. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to Alderson, after they forced me to strip in front of these cameras and because of my trauma, because of what my ex did to me, he would make me strip in the bathroom and torture me for hours, like to the point where I'd beg him to kill me and just get it over with. This triggered that trauma. So I was like losing it. And this lady was, you know, that was when she was coming in telling me to kill myself, like, she, after she had forced me to strip in front of these cameras so her male, you know, staff can get a show. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to Alderson, I filed what's called a PRIA complaint, and that stands for Prison Rape Elimination Act. And it's wow. anything sexual, like sexual harassment, rape, anything. It all goes under PRIA. So when Alderson got the complaint back, they wouldn't even let me hold it to read it myself. Mm -hmm. They read it to me and wouldn't let me have a copy of it. They wouldn't let me send it home. They wouldn't let me, they wouldn't even let me hold it. Wow. It was my complaint that I filed. Like I want everybody to imagine filing a complaint on the outside against something and then being told, oh, you can't have the, you can't have the paperwork to prove that you filed this complaint. And Somerset admitted to everything I was complaining about and they basically, they deemed it unfounded so it wouldn't go any higher. And that's how they bury the abuse. They'll say, yeah, we did it. So what, and this wow. is the problem, all these institutions, whether it's a college, whether it's a boarding school, whether it's, you know, the military, they get to conduct their own investigations. And mm-hmm. so they control what the outcome is. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a big problem. They're killing people, they're destroying lives. And you know, the funny thing is when I got out, the, the captain and four of his subordinates at Alderson all got convicted of raping and stalking inmates. Wow. And tampering with Priya evidence. Y'all can go wow. look that up. Captain Grimes, wow. Alderson. Hmm. And so it I was not even their biggest victim. Mm-hmm. And he only got 10 years for getting caught for being charged with raping over five women. Jeez. And only 10 years. If they had been regular civilians, he would be gone at least 30 years. Yeah. But because we're inmates, our trauma and our lives aren't valued. Mm-hmm. And so
0: how do you turn this into you know, helping create new laws? And, and I think you've, you've got two laws that you've helped get put into place?
1: Yep, yeah, um, I'm actually working um, well, with that whole thing with the priya and not giving me my paperwork, they refused to give it to me even after I got out. So there's no consequence. They're, by law, they have to give you the paperwork. Mm-hmm. But there's no consequence if they don't. They mm-hmm. told me to get a lawyer and subpoena it. Like they, these officers literally told me to get a lawyer. So I got mm. a lawyer and he's like, I can't subpoena anything without an open case. And I can't open a case without the paperwork. They know this. Mm. So if mm. if there needs to be a consequence for every day, they stonewall an inmate. So this is the one I'm working on now. It's not passed yet, but I think it should be passed across the board. If, if they stonewall an inmate, they need to be fined like $500 a day. Yeah. You know, they, something needs to happen. These officers and these jail institutions need to be held accountable. And that goes for colleges and, you know, other institutions that put their reputation over people's lives.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And But the one that I did uh, was working on that got passed in Maine, they mandated all jails provide tampons and pads for women free okay. of charge. So yeah. that, was, that was a victory because... You know these jails are so cheap they get over a hundred dollars a day per inmate they can buy the stuff in bulk Mm -hmm. you know and they don't have tampons and you have it's pulling teeth is easier than getting these people to restock your pads and yeah, I mean, women would make their own tampons and end up getting infections like it's really bad. And I've had I've watched women guards go, go ahead, bleed on yourself. What do I care? So the game became go up to the biggest, most masculine male guard and make him feel as uncomfortable as possible, because you can guarantee he will go get more than enough just to get this issue out of his face. <laughs>
0: I shouldn't laugh, but uh, I can see the intimidation I picturing it in my head, the intimidation of the male guard. So uh how, how are you working with legislators and, and and uh and 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 how are you how did you get that passed? I mean, you, wow. you've gone through this whole experience, you've come out of prison, you're you're trying to go through rehabilitation. I think you may have had some issues there from what I understand your bio.
1: Yeah. Um when when I was on probation, I my trauma was so bad I every time I left my house I had a panic attack. It also didn't help that the prison had me on thirteen hundred dollars worth of psych meds that get you um physically dependent on them. Wow. And so I had no way to pay for it. So I started detoxing off all of these psych meds. And you do detox just like you do with opiates or anything else because your body gets used to it. And some of like lithium, your heart can stop. Yeah if you just stop taking it. So this was a problem because LePage was still in office. But when I got out um, on, when I was done with probation, I went back for nine months to Danbury. And once I got out, Janet Mills took over Maine and I'm so happy she did you know, she got the page out of there and she expanded main care for everybody. So I was able to continue my recovery. I was able to get properly medicated. I was able to go to therapy, trauma therapy, what, whatever I needed. And I still struggled, but you know, I had a chance, a fighting chance just because of that. And it's funny because I had never planned on doing anything like political, but there was a cop in Maine up in Calais, and he was giving he gave a high school student drugs to give to her mother who was trading the drugs for sex acts basically wow. he did not get a sex charge and this made me so he got a drug charge but this made me so mad because this cop who's 30 years on the force so he's well versed in addiction was extorting this woman for her mental health and her addiction and as a woman who's been to prison if a cop were to come on to me you know, the only thing I'm thinking is what what am I going to jail for when he says no? And so I called the D.A. up like, why didn't you charge him with a sex crime? He's like, because the way the law is written, it's consent. Mm-hmm. So um, he goes, but you've made a lot of good points. So if you can't contact some of the state legislatures, they can put bills on the table like that. So mm-hmm. that that started me on this journey. And um, I contacted Charlotte Warren um, about this whole situation because correctional officers, there's no such thing as consent with an inmate because the position of power they have over inmates, you know, it's not consent. We're not allowed mm-hmm. to say no to them, basically. Mm-hmm. Cops should be the same way as it's civilians. Yeah. They have authority and power over us. Mm-hmm. So there and why are cops getting sexually gratified on taxpayers' dime anyway?
0: That's true. <laughs> that shouldn't be happening. And, yeah. you know,
1: if a cop uses his badge to try to talk a woman into, you know, having sex with him, like, you don't have game other than your badge. Like, you, you can't get a girl without, you know, flashing the badge in her face. Like, that's intimidation, you know, to yeah. me, at least it is. Not to speak for every woman, obviously, but, you know.
0: I would think it would be, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, the other law that I got passed. So, um, there's this huge problem. We have a huge homeless problem up in Maine and it's skyrocketed during the pandemic and it's all across the country before the pandemic, there were three empty properties for every homeless person in this country. Now there's 29. So th- these landlords were charging all of these application fees. And they were getting like triple the rent. You know, you get 10 people to pay a hundred dollars a week for an application fee that you don't even look at. You're just literally, they're paying money for you to say no to them. I mean, when we tried to move, we paid over a thousand dollars in application fees just for landlords to tell us no. And then they're not even renting the apartments. Like you mean to tell me you've had 40 people apply and you couldn't find one tenant? Wow. This is a scam. Mm-hmm. So I I talked to the state reps about it. I'm like, this is what's driving the homeless numbers up. These greedy landlords scamming people for application fees and processing fees. You know, they want like a hundred dollars per person and then another two fifty for a processing fee. They're mm-hmm. not even looking at the applications half the time. So they passed a law for a tenant bill of rights saying that you cannot charge any fees unless if a lease is signed.
2: Wow. Yeah,
0: that's I, they they were having this scam in Las Vegas for a while where they the the people these people were advertising stuff and taking the fees and they weren't even going to fill the thing they were making more no. money off the fees
1: right and that's, then they, they would renting the place like yeah. there is there's like no integrity in this country anymore it's just whatever capitalistic scam you can get over on people and it's destroying this nation
0: mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah i
1: was so, pretty proud of that <laughs>
0: So you come out of prison, you're working on these things, and then you you start to delve and discover your art or expand your, your artwork.
1: Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I did a couple art shows during Addiction Awareness Month, and then I joined the Bangor Art Society, and I did mm-hmm. some shows with them. And then I actually I, I did some writing contests, too, and I won two years in a row and got wow. two of my poems published. Um, I'm also, I'm in the editing process of my memoir. So um, it's called No Justice, Just Us. So I'm hoping wow. to have that published by the end of this year. So
0: I like that well, title.
2: Well, like that the, title. the
1: very first cell I was in, um, it said, there's no justice in the system. It's just us in the system. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that always kind of like stuck with me.
0: Mm-hmm. And you've you've done some different uh, political art as well on top of your other stuff. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm looking at it online.
1: Well, when um, the George Floyd thing happened, um, I was just thinking about every group in this country that has been affected by white supremacy, and it was basically everyone other than white men. Mm -hmm. So I did a kind of a collage of, you know, all the groups, and I did another prison one with, you know, an eagle incarcerated, and um, I think it said, uh, land of the free, Mm -hmm. and then I crossed out free and wrote highest uh, rate of incarceration. We make up 25% of the global incarceration population. Yeah. That's one-fourth. Like, it was one-fifth. It's gone up to one-fourth now. Like, we have more people in prison than entire continents. And it's sick. And it's only going to get worse. Over the pandemic, all these jails across the country were taking PPP loans and expanding their prisons. The money that was supposed to go to the people was going to expand prisons. Now they're criminalizing homelessness. They're fining people for feeding the homeless, for having basic compassion and human empathy. And they're it's a free workforce for them everyone's like well why do they want people in prison well because a hospital here's just one example a hospital saves $350,000 a year having their dirty linen washed by inmates instead of paying people minimum wage
2: mm-hmm. like
1: this is what it's all about they paid us $5.25 a month to work 40 hours a week mm-hmm. and then in prison they'll jack up the prices of everything like a package of ramen noodles that costs $0.50 cents out here costs $1.80 in there mm. or $1.50. I can't even remember what it is now, but you know, uh, an MP3 player that costs $12 at Walmart. They charge us 89. Mm. They are making so much money off of us oh, yeah. and they're not, they're not feeding us properly. They are working people to death. Um, this one girl slipped on the ice while she was shoveling snow. That was her job. She mm. broke her leg and when, by the time they took her to the hospital, days later, her bone had fused back together. So they had to re-break her leg. Eesh. And so they're not allowing her any pain meds because she's an inmate. And so that is that is cruel and unusual punishment. Like, mm. I have watched so many women die in there, you know, from very treatable things. Mm. And because these people would just not treat them.
0: Wow. Wow, that is unfortunate. And and so you, you did a lot of art in, in prison. It was kind of a, a way for you to cope with your trauma. And I, actually,
1: with it. I actually have some pictures of some of the murals I did sure. at Granbury. Yeah, let's um, take a look. So they only let me paint with blue. So I call it my blue period, which is fitting because it's I was in prison. Um, but yeah, there was this long hallway, and they wanted quotes, and they wanted um, – beautiful stuff on the wall. They let me have freedom with whatever I wanted to paint as long as it was beautiful. So, wow. that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. And you can see one of the quotes sort mm-hmm. of.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And then that that's my phoenix.
0: There you go. You know, I think one of the interesting stories about your journey uh, that can probably help others, especially if you write about it is is healing through trauma uh through art. And there's, I know there's a lot of people over the course of, of being artists that have done that and uh, that have, uh, you know, really connected with themselves, et yeah. cetera, et cetera, and uh, very interesting that way.
1: So there's this style of art called Zentangle, and it's like meditative art, and it's really easy. Um, my mom sent me some of the books when I was in jail, um, one of the jails that wouldn't allow me to paint, so um, I was having a really hard time with um, trauma and being triggered and going into flashbacks and like I would like literally hallucinate. I was back in my old apartment. That's how yeah. bad it was, and so I would do Zen tangle art because it's like meditative and you don't have to think about it. You just kind of do it, and you don't have to be good at it. It's just doing little designs. But I'm currently making a, an adult coloring book mm. with. Um, with this style of art because it Mm. it helped me. And I'm also including like all of the things that I learned about trauma that, you know, helped me. Like I've had so many people say, oh, it happened a long time ago. Like you got to get over it. Well, the part of your brain that stores traumatic memories does not register time. Mm. So that's why it always feels like it happened yesterday when it was so long ago. And you know, that, that really helped me, you know, kind of figure out, you know, my healing journey and, you know, why I was still, you know, holding on to things for so long. Like time does not register, you know, time does not heal all wounds. That's just something nice they say to you.
2: Yeah.
0: And so you, you find that uh, there's a meditative sort of process when you're painting and you're processing your imagery and and sharing your emotions and things like that. Writing's another big way that you can do to to do stuff. And, and I think sharing that journey with people and how that can help them heal. Uh, have you ever tried going maybe back into prisons and teaching uh, other inmates, maybe how to do art
1: and stuff like that? Or maybe um, that's
0: probably not I, for you right in, now.
1: In Maine, I wouldn't, I don't think I would do that. Um, yeah. But in, in another state, yeah, I, I, I would do something like, especially yeah. with the juveniles, like, you know, I'm so sick of the GOP. We got to get armed guards in the schools. And, dude, you armed, the, you, you put cops with guns in these schools, and the only thing you did was send a bunch of black kids to jail. And I was, when, when I was at Cumberland County, they, they would bring juveniles from Long Creek. It's the only juvenile center in Maine. And whenever they wouldn't behave there, they'd send them with us. Hmm. Well, I can't tell you how many girls came because they were getting sexually assaulted by high ranking officers. Wow. And you know, then they get caught and then it'd be in the paper and then they'd, you know, the guy would quit or whatever. And then the same thing would happen again. Well, this one girl, she was 17 and she ended up snapping because she repeatedly kept getting raped by a high ranking officer. And she wow. finally snapped and stabbed him with a pencil. So they brought her with us. They told her she was going back for her last two weeks on Christmas and she slit her throat that night. Jesus, wow. That was better than going back there. I mean, she lived, thank God, but that's better than going to some of these facilities. And, mm. you know, these, <laughs> it's worse for kids because, you know, I can stand up and say they did this, they did that. But children are, what they say is, you know, less valued and can considered, you know, it's, it's not, it's it's like not taken seriously Mm -hmm. and it's just really too bad like what this country is doing to people and the kids and they they i mean that judge just got sentenced for getting a payoff for every kid he sent to a juvenile center and you know you have judges that are sentencing people to the jails they own
0: yeah That's a uh, conflict
1: of interest. How is that happening? And, you know, Biden kind of did away with the private prisons, but Mm. all they did was rebrand themselves and open up the ICE camps. Mm. That's where all the refugees are going now. And nobody is checking them. That's why, you know, I love Paris Hilton for coming forward and talking about her experience at the boarding school. And, you know using her platform and, you know, her privilege to put an end to it for others. Because, you know, it's it's not just the boarding school. It's all institutions that mm-hmm. have too much power. And, you know, I'll say it again. These institutions cannot be allowed to continue investigating themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. There needs to be a third party that... That gives oversight and everything to that and all that good stuff. Absolutely. What's a message that uh, you know? We I had an author on the show one time, and she she wrote books, and she was sometimes having trouble writing books, and uh, you know, you get you get stuck uh, with uh, writing a book, and and you're like, okay, you know, you get you, your brain kind of freezes up, and she was one time uh, at a book tour doing a book signing. And this gal came up to her and said, you know, I read your books while I was in prison. And it really helped me. And it made all the difference. And we shared your book among all the ladies in prison. And we would, you know, have like a community thing in there in prison and read your book. And, and it, it helped us want something better and to build a better life. Wow. And so she said that one of the things she does now is she keeps a picture. And she has a photo of this woman in her orange jumpsuit in prison. And she realized that she's not writing mostly for herself. She's writing for other people, and so now when she writes, she's thinking about how she can give uh, her experiences and her, you know, how she delves with her issues and everything else uh, to other people to inspire them through books and stuff. And yeah. so maybe there's an avenue that you can do there with your writing, and you can inspire other so that there's a there's a chance an opportunity to come out and make a better life for themselves.
1: Yeah, you know, my dad sent me um, a book with a bunch of writing prompts. I started writing this book when I was in prison. Like, I was mm. literally writing chapters as you know my time went along. And when I got out, I was so overwhelmed I couldn't even like sit down and focus on anything. It took me like a, like literally a couple of years to get out and like work on this book again because a lot of the chapters are really traumatic. I mean. Like, for instance, I was in prison with all the female veterans that were thrown away by the military for standing up to their rapists. Wow. Like
0: In the military.
1: Yeah. Hmm. they all became addicts or, you know, whatever happened. You know, one, one of the girls, she fought back. Like, they all tell these, you know, military women to do, oh, you have a gun. Well, she fought back and she got court-martialed or whatever they call it and charged mm-hmm. for assault on an officer. Wow. So, like, You know, the military, my, I have like no respect for the military at this point after being in prison with, you know, these women that were in the military, I have no respect for it. It breeds predators and it protects predators. God Mm -hmm. bless our troops and all that. But, you know, it's just a patriarchal institution that, you know, doesn't care about women. They can't even get, you know, armor that fits them properly.
0: So, yeah, true. I, I think I've heard that. Uh, you know, it's kind of made designed for the males. So uh what what's uh, you're working on the book, you're working on new laws that are going on. Yeah. Uh are you gonna are you gonna you're you're doing more uh displays of your artwork, taking them out to shows and things like that?
1: Well, um I'm down south now, so I'm trying to figure yeah. out like the best avenues and the best ways to do that. Um mm-hmm.
0: you know, selling your stuff online, there's so many different avenues, so many different yeah. places and stuff. And uh, I think it's great you found this wonderful outlet to help yourself, but Thank also you. help other people. And there's a message and a journey behind it as yeah. well.
1: Which I want to get I want to get my brand in like a big department store like Kohl's or something like right. I, that. That's my goal. I'm going to figure out how to do it. But um, also for anybody out there who you know has been in my shoes, struggle with mental health issues, you know, whatever has a shady past, there's something called vocational rehab. And that really helped me get this business, you know, up and running. Like, I didn't know how to write a business plan. I knew nothing about that. (laughs) And they helped me with that. Like, I got a financial advisor. They helped me get a $10,000 grant. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, I've never gotten this much money before legally.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So this is this is great. You know, another thing you could do is start a community. There's a lot of people that start communities online. Uh, YouTube videos, they'll, they'll do a Patreon or a community to help other women who've been through these sort of trauma issues and uh, are trying to rehabilitate their, their lives because people need something like that. They need somebody who goes, hey, I went through what you went through and I, I found a positive way into the light and uh, I'm going to help other people. Yeah. And, and and women are big in the community. They're very social. They're very community-oriented. I mean, just their biology has always been that way. Yeah, and so, we
1: make, in prison, we make families. Like, I had, like, six different mothers and 20 different aunties <laughs> and a whole bunch of sisters. Like, and, you know, this whole, like, pinning women against each other. It was so weird because I didn't find any of that in prison. I found so much support and, like, You know, these women believed in me more than I did. Like my girl, Dawn, she, she just got on her own show. She's like a motivational speaker now. I'm so proud of her, but she was like, I want you to do a portrait of my family. And I didn't do portraits back then. I didn't think I could. And Mm -hmm. I'm so glad she like forced me to do it because apparently I'm really good at it. And I just didn't have the confidence myself to do it. And like that, like, it's not that shady hater, you know, competitive energy. Like we're all in the gutter. So it was like a lot of trying to lift each other up and it was just really nice change from, you know, what I'm used to, I guess.
0: Well, your ability to do artwork is awesome. I mean, I can just do stick figures. That's about all yes. I can do. And they're really awful looking stick figures. So, I mean, I appreciate your art and everything you're pouring into it. And I like your translating oh, yeah. clothing. Uh, you know, I've got some friends that they do, they make art and they, they put it on TikTok. And they as they're drawing it, or like YouTube, they'll do like live things as they're drawing it. And people tune in and they build community and and that's another great way to, you know, sell products and move stuff. So I'm glad yeah. you're doing all this and you're you're activating this world. Uh anything more you want to tease up or touch on before we go out?
1: um well i think there's a, a lot of stigmas in this country you know when it comes to addiction and you know women in prison like i had conservative women tell me when i got out if you don't want to get raped by cops and don't break the law and go to jail like just say you're okay with cops being predators like yeah, just kinda... just go, go ahead and say that um and you know 70 percent of women in prison when they go in have some sort of domestic violence or sexual assault in their background like these are the women that are getting locked up they're not these you know criminals that are made out to be they are women who have slipped through the cracks of society that is you know failing them
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know w- my generation did what we were supposed to do we went to college we took out these crazy loans and now we're swimming in debt we trusted our doctors who were lied to by big pharma when we had ADHD or anxiety or depression or a broken bone. And we were given all of these meds that, you know, made us lose our mind. And then when we got addicted to them, we got locked up for it. You know, all for profit, whether it's the insurance companies, whether it's big pharma, whether it's the prisons, whether it's the rehabs that have a 94% failure rate, You know, and it's no, no refund. A friend of mine drank a cup of coffee in the wrong area of, of the rehab, a petty rule. They Mm -hmm. kicked him out. No refund, $30,000. And then they just fill that spot. Wow. That, like, that is corruption to me. Like you, you are, and then he got out and overdosed. Because wow. that's what happens when, you know, it's someone that fragile, you know, you're going to, you wouldn't kick a cancer patient out of their rehabilitation if they drank a cup of coffee in the wrong part of, of the building. Like they mm-hmm. had, they just have petty rules and they hold addicts to these crazy standards when they're not in the right state of mind. Mm-hmm. Like I had to face my trauma before I could get clean. Like that was the reason I kept relapsing because, you know, yeah. when, you know, I had a uh, when a therapist tell me I was one of the most dangerous types of addicts because I had chronic pain. Mm-hmm. It was traumatic, you know, and I was an addict on top of it. So you put those three things together and it's a much harder monster to overcome because every time I'm in pain, my brain's going to pull up this, you know, drug card. Every time I have, uh, post-traumatic stress trigger my brain is going to pull up that you know drug card you know Mm -hmm. that's that's how she explained it as like files like your brain keeps and it will like terrorize you you know with and that's why with trauma when you wake up so much in the middle of the night your brain from nightmares your brain is literally trying to scare you awake because it feels vulnerable while it's sleeping
0: Mm -hmm. there you go well it's these are all issues that need to be worked on and i think if you if you one of the things you can do is making is your mission in life a way to help other people, help reconcile some of these things, passing the laws you're talking about, and I think pouring yourself in your art like you do, and sharing that artwork is is probably the best healing for you and for other people, especially when they understand, you know, what the what what goes in behind it and everything else. Give me your dot com, Elizabeth, so people can find you on the interwebs and get to know you All better right. in order for your work.
1: Yep. H-T-T-P colon slash slash com slash E-N slash Elizabeth dot McCodowitz. And my social media handles are all the same. It's E-P-M underscore art underscore 1111.
0: There you go. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing your journey and thank continue guys. success in what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to my audience for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com for Chess Chris Voss, youtube.com for Chess Chris Voss and uh, linkedin.com for Chris Voss. All those crazy places we are on the internet. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe and we'll see you guys next time. And that's